Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I told you before to be careful where you put your legs. I was only trying to be helpful. I can help myself. What are you waiting for? Come on. Come on. What are you waiting for? Come on. Come on. For seven decades, Michael Keane has been among the world's most renowned and recognisable actors. It was just what I needed. A one-inch god with a two-inch penis. Star of classics like Zulu, The Man Who Will Be King and The Cider House Rules. It's a miracle no one was killed but also films that brought his career to the brink of complete implosion. I made a mistake. Somehow, he has always found a way back. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. With me, it's a full-time job. In this epic podcast series, we will watch and review every Michael Caine movie, from the greatest hits... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off! ...to the incredible misses. You failed to maintain your weapon, son. And take a deep dive into the life and work one of the world's most recognizable film stars. His name is Michael Kay, and no one will forget his name. Behave yourself. To understand how he has made the mark of Kane. Well, you all settled in? Right, we can begin. For God's sake, come in! Come on! Hello and welcome to The Mark of Cain, our long hill walk through the film career of Michael Cain, watching every single movie featuring the great man. Whether they turn out to be beauty spots or locations clearly used for the cinematic equivalent of fly tipping. Uh, my name is Michael Foley and joining me as always is Stephen Black, creator and content provider for the Mallow News Twitter account. Now it could be argued, like, it could be argued that our qualifications for casting judgment on the Cain catalogue are fairly flimsy. But I doubt if many people in the 21st century have actually watched the wrong box like we did last time around, and possibly even the movie today, Gambit. I, I doubt if there's a big audience for these. i just like, again, and I pointed it out previously, that our qualifications are quite clear. We're both white, middle-aged, and we own podcast microphones. And if those credentials aren't good enough for listeners, then I'm, quite frankly, you know... They can go somewhere else. Off now. They can go somewhere else for their for their cane horseshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you want primo, good luck, to good, good luck trying to find that. <laughs> yeah, if you want like A grade primo cane horseshit, you've come to the right place. Mm. So what are we? What are we at? Mm, this rem- reminds me of a young Shelgar. <laughs> this time around, okay, Kane is making the big career leap now. This is the big money picture. Okay, okay. You say he's had Alfie a couple of movies ago, and we've had the wrong box. But this is the Hollywood one. Handpicked by Shirley MacLaine as her leading man. This, to me anyway, this is the first sign of the Alfie dividend. Uh, this is when Mr. Kane goes to Hollywood. He rips it up and he makes a heist caper called Gambit. How would you like to make five thousand dollars? What's the catch, Mr. Dane? Is it dishonest? Michael Kane is an international cat burglar. Shirley MacLaine becomes his partner, and his prize. You made me look like this dead lady. And when Shabandar learns about you, we will be invited to meet him. A remarkable thing has happened. 
the face of the Lisu is the image of my late wife. You understand now what I meant by a miracle. And that's the plan, Emil. You can't find it. Absolutely foolproof. I thought you yes, said there'd be a Rolls Royce. Get me your manager, Mr. Ram. Mr. Ram is not with us anymore. Operator, would you get me 4279 again, please? It can't possibly be busy. All I'm trying to say is I know what it's like when things don't go right. I happen to have a foolproof plan. Luncheon? I don't want to go to luncheon. I, I want to go to dinner. You're being followed. Why is it that people who follow people always end up fingering trinkets? You are the most infuriating person I have ever met in my life. Roll the dice for romance and intrigue in Gambit. Just out of curiosity, did you, did you ever actually watch the trailer for The Wrong Box? How dare you? I watch all the trailers. I prepare myself thoroughly for each one of these podcasts. Yes, it's dreadful. <laughs> yeah, they're awful, aren't they? These 60s trailers, they're all about five minutes long. They don't seem to be kind of trying to plug the movie. It's just this person and this person are in this movie and then they just show completely out of contact, out of contact, out of context clips. And yeah. it's like the view, up to you whether you decide whether or not you want to go see this movie because we've made it look like shit. It's amazing how bad these are. And in some of them, like, they just give away the whole plot as well. Like, I mean, it's not no, even the like teaser, it's just the plot. This is some leak now. This movie, I think, anyway, from the wrong box and this kind of hodgepodge ensemble cast to like swinging Singapore and Shirley MacLaine and Kane is dating Nancy Sinatra at this point, like, which obviously grants immediate access to the chairman of the board. And you no, know, this is like beyond wildest dream stuff for him, isn't it? This, what happened here in three years? I don't know. You say Shirley MacLaine handpicked him. Was that like? Was there a brochure going around? You know, was she like, can I get that? But but in strawberry blonde. Maybe she no, had it in her. No, 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 it only comes in ginger. Well, it comes in blonde as well, like Kane, who is blonde. Mm. He is blonde. Anyway, it was in her contract, like for this for this movie, she could pick her leading man, and of all the people she could have picked, uh, she saw him in Ipcris file, and she said, "Yeah, I'll have a bit of him." And uh, over he came. I complete like people in in Hollywood would have been seeing like previews of Alfie. It wasn't in the cinemas or anything like that. So wasn't really known, but um, Shirley MacLaine wanted him on screen with her anyway. So here, so here we are. I mean, he's just landed into this life that is just, it just blows my mind that like, you know, this is 1966. So like two or three years previously before Zulu, like, sure, what's he doing? Like he's, he's, he's scratching around for any part he can get. And suddenly now he's in Hollywood. I'd imagine he would have been very excited to go to see Disneyland or Disney World or whatever one of those was in his existence at the time. Maybe try one of those hammed burgers. <laughs> Maybe a hot dog. Yes. Sushi? No, I think that I think you're getting a bit ahead of yourself there now. I'm not sure. Anyway. I'm not I'm not not sure he would have gone there. Like I mean, from from what Shirley McLean has recalled about the time with Kane. Or like this is this is her own word. She said when Michael arrived in Hollywood, he got a wide swathe through the single girls like a rocket with no resistance. I'm kind of glad to hear that, that, that there was no resistance because I really don't want to kind of a fucking B two movement to be coming out of this podcast. Yeah, no, we don't we don't want that. He would report to work after a hard night's play, stagger into his trailer, blast his Beatles records up to hyperspace. Excuse me. <laughs> yes, and, and try to get some sleep. Oh, oh, I got I got tomorrow never. <laughs> It's like, uh, yeah, he's just, he's just, all over my paper back right now. He's just having a ball, isn't he? He's just, 
He's just living the life. So yeah, so it's like a man who finally actually found the swinging 60s that he didn't that you suspect never really existed back in England in the first place. Well, if you think of the, the, the gear on Alfie, as we made the point in that one, like he was basically dressed like a 60s Alan Partridge who had who had no understanding of what was going around him at the time. But he seems to have landed in America with his stack of records. Um he was in America once before this. He was he went to New York for something or other, and according to himself, it was just literally he got no sleep. He was fascinated by the fact that you could watch TV until late at night because that wasn't available at home. Um, but no, this, obviously this is another step up again. You know, it's like he's just living the life. But if you don't mind, might come back. Can I Can I tell some Kane, Mr. Kane goes to Hollywood stories later? Is, is that possible? Oh, yeah, well, I, yeah, yeah, no, fine. We might as well talk about the film. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. kind of what we're here for, isn't it? Um, so where do you want to start? Will I start with the plot? Will I tell people what it's all about? Do tell the people who who've, should have already watched this what the plot's about. Exactly. Well, if you haven't watched it, go and find it. It's pretty easy to find online. Actually, you paid money to watch this, didn't you? I did, yes. Are you, glad? Are you, are you, are you glad you did that? Were you, was it worth I, it? I spent money on worse. <laughs> that's, that's true, and we'll just leave that there. Yeah, um, yeah so it's, it's quite easy to find online. And if not, we'll guide you through it anyway. So Kane plays Harry Tristan Dean, a cat burglar. He's a sculptor friend, Emile, and they find... Shirley MacLaine's character, Nicole Chang, who's a Eurasian showgirl in Hong Kong. She bears an incredible resemblance to the late wife of the world's richest man, uh, Shabander is his name, played by Herbert Lom, who you might remember from the old Pink Panther films. And she's also the absolute head off of a priceless Chinese statue that uh, Shabander owns. So for the first pretty much 25 minutes of the film, MacLaine's character does not speak at all. And you see Kane's character, Harry, running rings around Shabander and successfully making off with the statue, while Shabander is mesmerised by McLean's incredible resemblance to his late wife. But you realise after 25 minutes, of course, it's just a whole entire imagining in Harry's mind of how this job will unfold. Uh, so when it clicks back after 20 odd minutes, in reality, we realise that Harry has to convince uh, Shirley McLean's character to be involved. And it also turns out that she can speak and think and generally work things out much better than Harry, which causes him serious problems because, you know, he's a completely vain misogynist. And also it turns out he's pretty awful at cat burgling, but we'll, we'll have more of that shortly. It also turns out that the richest man in the world is quite a shrewd judge of character who clocks very early on what's going on, but he indulges the pair. So Harry gets uh, Shirley MacLaine's character in a call to have dinner with Shabander and distract him while Harry goes to nick the statue. She's at a nightclub with Shabander when she cops that Shabander knows what's going on. So she slips off to the toilet to escape and warn Harry. Uh, she ends up helping him steal the statue and then in a weird moment trips the alarms by leaping into his arms helplessly in love with him. Now, I can't stress how unlikely this seems in the context of the rest of the movie. It's almost like some movie exec like from the 24th floor has come down and said, we need a love angle here, quick guys. But anyway, Harry insists that, you know, Shirley MacLaine goes to the airport and he'll escape some other way. Back at Shabander's, it turns out that the original Chinese statue was actually hidden in the wall. Uh, but when Shabander goes to check in it, he realizes, oh, Harry's after stealing the original and he's left the fake behind. So McLean is picked up in like 10 seconds at the airport. Well, back to Shabander, who tells her, find Harry, tell him to return the original or there'll be trouble. So she's allowed to go back to Hong Kong and she finds Harry at Emile's workshop, the sculptor. Harry tells her that he actually hid the original inside a Buddha statue in Shabander's house and has gotten word to Shabander via telegraph that the statue was there. He only wanted to actually create the idea that the statue had been stolen. So himself and Emile could sell a couple of replicas of this statue when people thought it was, when they thought the original was missing. So McLean isn't happy with his criminal ways. 
And, you know, but to prove his love and his commitment, he smashes one of the replicas to prove his love for her. Uh, as they leave, uh, arm in arm, happy days, Emil opens a cupboard, revealing loads and loads of replicas of the uh, of the statue. So there's no fear of him. And that's pretty much it. Like, it's, to me, it's the kind of diverting movie that, you you know, it's best consumed after a heavy Sunday dinner, maybe with tea and hobnobs, where you're not really paying a huge amount of attention but when we're looking at it now, the way we're going to be looking at it, there are there are bits and pieces here that are worth teasing out. Yeah, so this is str- we are strictly in caper mode here uh, above romp. There's not enough kind of a, be- a bedroom hopping to kind of justify it being a romp. It's more of a caper, uh, basically because uh, Harry is a cat burglar. This bloody obsession with the '60s about promoting the lifestyle of a cat burglar. This kind of gentleman thief. Uh, mm. As opposed to just some, you know, some lad who climbs a wall and, and, and nicks stuff. It's a, I don't know where the obsession came from. No, it's almost like you know, it's a high, it's a higher class of criminal or something like that. You know that they're they're of a certain mind. You know they've got a certain whatever way the the cogs are whirring. It's just going at a quicker rate than your average hoodlum or criminal. And, and they don't they don't steal for money. They steal for prestige. Oh yeah, and for fun. I mean, pure That's crack. It's just a yeah. laugh, like, you know. Uh, yeah. I didn't actually steal it. I just, I, I stole to create a ruse, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it's weird. It's weird. He slips into uh, Kane's performance. Like, he, he he actually pretends to to get into Shabander's good books. He pretends to be an upper-class gentleman. So, yeah. So, he's, he's dedication to this role. I actually think you'd probably give him a, a bit more credit than it's just a case of him putting Sir in front of, in front of his name and... Letting that do the heavy lifting in terms of him be, uh, pretending to be a, a, a member of the aristocracy. If you notice in the movie, whenever he loses his temper with Shirley MacLaine or gets upset, his accent slips. And I think that might actually be deliberate for once. I think that might actually be a deliberate kind of, you know, he's pretending to be posh, but, you know, our, our, his background is, is more upper class than he actually is. And whatever he's actually, things don't work his way. He becomes more and more cockney. Wow, that's confusing. So he's, so he's, He's 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 a Cockney cat burglar pretending to be an upper class gentleman slipping back into Cockney cat well, burglar. Well, not, not, not even that so much. I think he's basically come from more working class backgrounds and has, uh, I guess, for the time, pulled himself up. And uh, in the same way, the most uh, a lot of people from from those backgrounds who want to affect a more middle class or upper middle class. Uh, right. Uh, background will put on the accent and put on the airs and graces of it. I think he's doing he's doing the same to try and pa- pass himself off as uh, uh, not even as a member of the aristocracy, but at the at the, at the start of the film, passing himself off as uh, somebody's far more capable than they yeah. seem. Yeah, because he's ter- he's a terrible cat burglar, really, isn't he? Yeah. He's, so he's I think the accent, the accent. No, I'm quite willing to admit that I might be giving Kane far too much credit, and the fact that he just doesn't maintain the accent is because he can't be bothered, uh, <laughs> because he's he's basically wandered onto set and hasn't, uh, uh, you know, having just um, uh, wooed Nancy Sinatra vigorously in his trailer, <laughs> v- vigorously, and you know, listened to the entirety of Help, and he's hungover, yeah. like he's, yeah, you know, he's going to be in a certain mindset coming on, coming on, yeah. on set at that point, you know. What did you make of his performance? He's fine. It's grand. There's a good bit of, you know, comic timing is okay. Uh, dialogue is all right. Um, Shirley MacLaine, obviously it's her, it's her movie, essentially. She's the one who, um, who, as you say, recruited him and championed the script. So she, she's the one who gets the best lines in the movie. So she's the outstanding star in this. Kane is, well, he's on to a certain extent, but you know, he's not like, he's not like blowing her off the screen or anything like that. Yeah, like I mean, he and he seems quite comfortable as well in that. Like I mean, he doesn't have, I mean, you know, we will see. Obviously, as he 
evolved that he's he the old acting muscles and the ability to hold the to hold his role as a leading man evolves. He's not at that stage yet. It's his first time in Hollywood. I'd say he's at times he almost looks not he does not look out of place, but he just looks sort of like, yeah, I'm I'm happy enough to be to be the supporting guy here. Even if my name is top of the bill kind of here, I'm I'm she's the star. And he's quite happy for her, I think, to be the star. Where do you want to start with this? Do you want to talk about him as a cat burglar? Some casual racism, perhaps? Where, where, where I think we'll start with the well, not even the casual racism. So as you yeah. the key roles in this movie. So you've got Shirley McLean, uh, who is a genuine ginger, befreckled, playing mm-hmm. a Eurasian woman, uh, mm-hmm. to the extent whereby uh, they make her look Asian by applying some very uh, vigorous make uh, makeup. Um, let's put it that way. Uh, See, so we've that. Again, there is no need for her to be Eurasian at all it doesn't drive the plot it doesn't really really matter so completely unnecessary herbert lom czechoslovakian british actor um basically blacked up to play uh, yeah. uh, an arab from uh, the 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 country of damuz the fictional uh, rowdy arabia uh, <laughs> yeah so again yeah. kind of kind of well, mor middle east isn't it it's it's kind of uh, yeah so yeah you've herbert lom again does not need to be he's the world's richest man his nationality is not important or fucking shock horror hire uh, an Arab actor what, what could go wrong you know it just doesn't seem to have crossed it doesn't seem to have crossed their radar at all that they might actually um, hire people from the area instead you have as you say you have Herbert Lom basically lacquered up um, like like you're varnishing a fence um, and you have Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine reminded me actually of, of her eye makeup and all the rest of it. Reminded me a bit of like Ziggy Stardust, like American cousin, cousin Mabel, Mabel Stardust, yes. Mabel you know? Stardust. There's a touch of that, and then the the kind of the the to to make the hat trick of racism. You've got Roger Carmel, an American. Uh, one nerd listening to this uh, might remember playing Harry Mudd in Star Trek, the original series. He plays an Indian man called Ram. Uh, makes an attempt at an Indian accent, misses it by a couple of continents. Uh, <laughs> is only in the movie for about three minutes, and again, you could have casted. Uh, I actually, I think any Indian actor would probably gone, you know, a bit too broad. Um, might might not, or he didn't. Here's a shot. Didn't have to be Indian. No, just Maybe. make him American. Just make him American. Had no, again, no, no bearing on the plot. Just completely unnecessary. Yeah, um, and it's a kind of a, again, as I say, if you're sitting, as I say, bloated after your Sunday dinner, just kind of half comatose watching this, this stuff kind of just, just, oh, just rolls past you, you know? But when you're actually sitting upright and um, watching the clock in terms of how long is left in this thing, um, these things, these things start to kind of come out of the screen at you a little bit. Yeah, I I think I find it very hard to be sitting back and, and see something like uh, Herbert Lam's. Uh, Herbert Lam basically plays two characters, in the both of which are racist, uh, racist uh, portrayals of, of Arabs. But the first one is uh, the imagine uh, again because you kind of left out in your description of Michael Kay's character. He's also a racist because his imagining of Shabander is of this mm. fez, fez wearing monocle sporting superstitious um, uh, man who is you know panders to every stereotype in, uh, the, uh, at the time. Oh, it's basically, it, I mean, he's basically portrayed as a kind of a, a desert Arab who's fallen into a big pool of oil and come yeah. out the other side and is now dressing in the way he thinks that rich Arabs and rich people should dress. But in actual yeah. fact, he's actually just 
a desert Arab who shouldn't be there at all. This is this is the Kayan character's imagining of what Shabander is, rather than actually a highly shrewd, in, intelligent business person who's become the richest man in the world. Yeah, which he is portrayed as. So what they do is they take away the racist stereotypes, but they leave the five quotes around seal. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. See, and you can't get away from the Ron seal. It's just too. No. It's just too much to too much to get away from. So you have that all kind of going on constantly through through the whole thing. Then you have the issue of um, this arch criminal uh, with this foolproof plan who actually turns out to be hopeless at his job. I wouldn't say hopeless. He, he appears to be able to climb, which I would have thought, yeah, that's one of the essentials of being a cart burglar is your ability mm-hmm. to climb. He's able to climb and he's able to steal, uh, able to get into Shabanda's apartment at the end. But ultimately, the act of stealing the statue is, carry, is carried out by Shirley McLean because as snake hipped as Kane is in this period of his career, he's still not as slim as Shirley McLean is. So Shirley McLean mm. has to nip, nip through this uh, gap in top of this gilded cage, uh, which is, you know, at the time displaying the highest uh, technology available to uh, the highest level of anti-crime technology. <laughs> I, you, you, you walk through it and it sets off an alarm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically, if you can imagine a bird cage drop down over a statue um, and yeah basically if you put your hand through the bars the alarm goes off and also isn't there there's there, there's a there's a gentleman secreted behind the wall with a gun who seems to be there 24-7 the poor guy I hope they gave him a bucket because <laughs> at least a chair and one of those uh, kind of Sudoku magazines something to keep him occupied because Jesus Christ that must be the world's bo- most boring job just sat in Behind, the, behind the, se- the secret door, watching a statue, trying to avoid the many, and let's face it, many, many women who've been taken into Shabander's technological uh, marvel of an apartment and occasional sex prison. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, there are only pure, s- vibes of sex, pure vibes of sex prison off this now, I'd like to say. When he's showing Shirley McLean around, he's showing all the things he can do. You can kind of go, this is, yeah, you go, this is, could go many ways and not, uh, none of these are pleasant. Oh, oh, her face. Like, I mean, he, he, it's part of showing her around the apartment. He brings her into the room and stuff starts, you know, stuff starts coming out of the wall and beds start moving. And on her face is entirely saying, I'm about to be sexually assaulted. This is what's going to yeah. happen next. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the, the apartment revolves and it goes up to the roof. And I, I'd say there's a shoot for bodies as well, definitely. There's some, other lad who's, there's some other lad whose job is to wait in the basement with a, you know, like with a, with a bat full of lime. That's all he's doing. I can only oh, I can, not again. I can only hope that the health plan for these guys is good because I, I I can't imagine there's I can't imagine a worse job than having to stand in behind a behind a door looking out at a statue for fifteen hours on end or twenty four or whatever the hell I don't know. Anyway, um, but you say like yeah, he's a good. I don't know. Like he he manages to get into the room. He lands. He kind of climbs down, kind of controlled fall kind of thing. He's got a nice pair of slippers, which makes things nice and quiet. He's moving. He's wearing black, which is good for a cat burglar. He does kind of portray a certain lack of, how would you put it in, in management speak? Crisis management wouldn't be his strength now, which I, which I would have thought is really important for a cat burglar. Also, the ability to think at his feet. I mean, Shirley McLean does all the thinking for him when things go don't go yes. to plan. So he's like, That's "I have made this rigid, rig, yeah, I've made this uh, rigid plan, and I cannot deviate from it." And anything that deviates from it, as you say, he goes into, "This is terrible. I don't know what to do." And Shirley McLean basically has to kind of butt in and save him, which she does on multiple occasions. Which I think, uh, but that's basically what ends in the culmination of their uh, uh, erotic moment in the gilded uh, cage of passion is that he's finally realized 
that, you know, okay, she's a woman. Hmm. She talks, ooh, awkward. But wait, she's helped me steal something. Therefore, this is love. It's as simple as that for him. And, and a very nice segue onto the most inexplicable of, of, a, of a movie where there are many inexplicable things. This is the inexplicable thing. I mean, she's a strong female character. Give it credit or credit due. It's a strong female character that just turns completely inexplicably freaking drippy. I, like she's in the guild, she has gotten into the gilded cage, as you said there, Stephen. Like by this amazing gymnastics space, her, her flexibility to get into the bars and all the rest that she's in. So now to get out, she jumps into his arms, triggering all the alarms, and you're like going, "What's going on here?" I mean, did uh, they not laid, see they, this they coming. They laid the foundation for that one, uh, one of the earlier scenes where she's all getting all dialed up and, and uh, she's looking for his approval and he kind of pays no attention to her and, you know, her feelings get hurt. Uh, so you could tell earlier on that she's, again, because a woman has no merit, uh, you know, being appended and valued by herself, you know, or her value can only be judged by, you know, having validation from a man. Yeah. Okay. 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 I'm learning stuff. I, I didn't, I didn't clock that, but okay, fair enough. But like still uh, and all. You know, she's she's like the strongest character in the whole show, and she does the most. She does the dumbest thing of all the characters in the whole show. Yeah, well, love makes you do stupid things, Michael. I guess. Apparently, apparently, actually, speaking of 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 um, doing well, maybe not stupid things, but the nightclub scene that really, again, again, if you're sitting in the half comatose state watching this, you don't notice this, but when you're watching, you kind of go, okay, she's in a nightclub with Shabander. She realizes that Shabander knows what's going on here. I need to get out of here, get back to Shabander's apartment, warn Harry to get out of there. And she goes to the Jacks for what feels like, I don't know, about two and a half hours. And okay, let's walk through the timeline. Yeah, yeah, let's walk through the timeline here. So she arrives at uh, the restaurant with Shabander having been taken by his uh, helicopter right to the nightclub, which presumably has a helipad on top of it. Um Goes in, he introduces her to his friend, who's the chief of police. She knows the jig is up, uh, sits down for dinner. She makes her excuse to go to the, the, the ladies' room, then goes, sneaks out the back of the, of, of the jacks. Now, not, doesn't go straight to Shabana's guy because she's clever. She realizes this dress is completely incompatible with the art of, bar, of cat burglary. I must hie me back to the hotel room, have a quick outfit change. Luckily, I have packed uh, just such an outfit. Make yeah. it from the, the hotel to Shabana's apartment. All of which you're, he's into court with Herbert Lamb. Look at his watch going. She's you know the dates didn't really not agree with her. Uh, <laughs> like I got to ask you a question now. Here uh, we've all uh-huh. been uh, with single men. Um, what is the longest you're likely to wait uh, for a doll who's gone into uh, the uh, gone to powder her nose without thinking? Hey, I need to go and make sure she's all right because something severely um, either intestinal or uh, other has happened to her. Or uh, Maybe she's done a runner and maybe I should just check and then, you know, like take what's left of my dignity and go home. How long would you be willing to wait? If you want me to put a number on it, it'd be, I don't know, two hours. Yeah, that's fair. That's reasonable. So, I mean, maybe maybe it's not that unbelievable that the richest man in the world sat in a nightclub looking at his watch, uh, staring at the guy with him, shaking their heads, looking at the watch, drinking another glass of something. I mean, like if you... Think about it logically. How if this is happening in real time? So she has to go to, uh, go out the back at the jacks. She has to get a cab back because obviously they flew there by helicopter, so it's quite some distance. Mm. So get a ca- cab. She's also left her purse there. So God, on, I, I hope she brought her credit card with her. But uh, gets into the cab, uh, convinces the, the taxi driver to to you know take a credit note. Um, 
gets back to the hotel, maybe that's half an hour, gets changed, puts on a bit of lippy, and there's another 15, 20 minutes, and then makes her way, breaks her way into the apartment as well. So displays the same level of cat burgling skills that, that Harry Harry is done. We're talking about an hour, I would say, tops, right? I, 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 more, I, more. I mean, I have yeah. visions of I, I have visions of Shabander still sitting there while your man is sweeping up around, <laughs> looking at his watch, looking at the other there's, guy with him, taking another drink or something, looking at his watch. Do you think we should go on all? There's oh, no. still a chance. <laughs> the only thing, I, the only thing I was thinking was, is that obviously it's back in back in the day, so and in a foreign uh, made up country, but more than likely you're talking about a squatty potty situation. So okay. maybe he was so impressed by the strength, the imagined or perceived strength of her quads that he's kind of going, oh "My God, she'd be able to. Th- she's going to be able to strangle me. My head is going to pop off like the top of a bottle of Fanta. I've been shaking too many times. Maybe he's that's going, what he's going to. My God." Can you imagine the? Can you imagine the ferocity of my orgasm? And he's basically going, "Yeah, hang on. I'll hang on for another ten or fifteen minutes. All right, you're on to a good thing here." Yeah, he's going nowhere. So yeah. she, so she gets back. Whatever love, love scene of sorts. Whatever else, like it, it sort of, yeah, it kind of peters out then a bit, doesn't it? Anything else there that we need to touch on? Really bad burglary, sudden falling in love, casual racism, nightclub disappearing act. Yeah, the ending, I suppose. The you know, oh, it was our plan all along. Kind of yeah. weak, weak. Very, go to, yeah. This yeah. is this is our plan. Yeah, uh, the whole thing as well. Uh, this really annoyed me. Was uh, her insisting that he give up his life of crime, despite the fact that she knew that it was a life of crime that she was getting into when she signed up for the deal in the first place. Weird. I think wasn't it that she wanted a she was going to get a British passport and like five grand or something like that for doing the gig. Yeah. That was the payment. But yes, life of crime. And uh, by the way, you're already in a life of crime now. Even if you get out of the life of crime, you're still in the life of crime. Like so, yeah. You may as well roll with the punches at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't really speak speak too well to a long term relationship between the two of them because she's asking him to go against his character. You know. As you know, as you know, Stephen, I had doubts over the relationship from from early on in the film so I, I would agree with that I, I don't see a long term future for, for Harry and Nicole Chang in this or Mabel Stardust which, whichever way she identifies yeah and the reveal that there is loads of st- there's a, a lot more statues I mean how many you could only flood the market with so many replicas before people will actually cop on hang on no these are all fakes it's your classic sort of the internet does not exist sort of moment here. Like you know, we, yeah. we'll, we'll be able to get a good whack of these out before war gets around it. We're actually, we've sold about a dozen of these. It is, it's that classic, like there's no mobile phones, no internet, obviously it's the mid sixties. So this stuff, it, it, you have, you, you probably have a month, you probably have a month to do and it. And luckily all, all the kind of people who would buy those, uh, those statues from the black market aren't the kind of people to take, uh, news that it's a fake badly. So it's not like you're going to be running for the rest of your life, uh, to avoid getting murdered by disgruntled uh, customers. Yeah, as opposed, yeah, as opposed to idyllic life in, let's say, uh, Barbados. I see more for Nicole and Harry a life aboard a fishing trawler around the Faroe Islands. Yeah, eating puffin heads, eating puffin heads, and keeping the head down. That, that I think that's how it would have possibly worked out. But of course, we don't find that out because by the time the film is over, it's time to watch Bullseye or Songs of Praise or Garda Patrol or whatever was coming on around tea time on a Sunday evening. So, you know, it just disappears out of your head. Movie was pretty well received, I think, wasn't it? It, it didn't, um, you know, it didn't break anything. I think there was a couple of, I think there might have been a couple of uh, award nominations for the pair of them. 
Yeah, and even uh, John Louis, Gones by John Louis, uh, mm. nominated for an Oscar as well. So we we're all quite impressed with the, the gonery and for the rear on display there, clearly, and so are the Academy. Yeah, um, good for him. We, we knew he was important because he's, he's credit appears at the opening credits randomly. Uh, I guess that was <laughs> yeah. important back then. Apparently, apparently. He almost do, you know, do, you know, do you know what, do you know what I'm fucking, do you know what, if they don't fucking mention who made these dresses in the opening fucking two minutes, I'm fucking leaving. I don't care how many dollars we just paid to get into this. I don't care we paid an extra $20 for somebody to mind the kids. I'm sick of costumiers being left off the credits list. It ruins my, it ruins my movie viewing experience. Really takes because- me out of it. The costume have been screwed over for far too long, and it was about yeah. time the Hollywood execs realized that. Yeah, justice for Jean Louis. Justice for Jean Louis. Justice for Jean Louis. So yeah, so look, it, it was it was a perfectly fine film. Kane, as we said at the top, he's in Hollywood for the first time. He's having a ball. Um, can I tell my stories now? Can I tell my stories now? I mean, if you don't, there'll be there'll be a, a, such a, a, a furore. Absolutely, I think so. So I'm going to start with one of my favorite Kane. Stories from from this era when he lands in Hollywood. So he, he lands in Hollywood and he's put up at the Beverly Hills Hotel. There's a few weeks before filming starts. So he's just people watching in the lobby. Few actor, you know, studio people would know him because of these private screenings of Alfie that, that are knocking around before they hit the cinemas. But one of the people that comes up to him is Jane Russell, famous Hollywood star of the time, starred with Marilyn Monroe and some like it hot. Um, probably in the parlance of um, Alfie. Kane would have seen her as you know, he she would have been now a screen goddess to him as, as, as a younger man. Uh, and the parents of Alfie probably would have seen her as a bit of a lust box, let's say. So she she comes over and she's all charm and asking, Are you the guy? And Alfie's like, Yeah, yeah. She says, Would you like to come to lunch? And in Kane's mind, immediately <laughs> the cogs are worrying, the Beatles records are gone out the window here. Uh, and he's thinking, Yeah, geez, what's going on? And maybe it could be a touch of afternoon delight here, like so. She brings him to lunch. Let me just, let me just do my lunges. <laughs> yeah, she's got quick lunches. So she brings him to lunch and brings him into a, pr- a private room uh, in the hotel for lunch. And he, she opens the door and there's a bunch of other women there as well. It turns out that she had brought him to a meeting of Christian scientists. She was, she was a devout Christian, Jane Russell. She actually she ran a group called the Hollywood Christian Group. And uh, she explained to Michael that they didn't get many male attendees at their lunches, so they were delighted to have a man to have a man there while they had their chats. I'd say he was so disappointed. I'd say you know the I'd say I'd say his penis made that kind of comic wah wah noise when he when he got into the room. <laughs> it was just a complete and utter letdown from now. To be fair, as I said before, he was seeing Nancy Sinatra. He was also dating Natalie Wood at this time, and as Shirley has told us already, he was he was having the time of his life. Uh, when it came to socialising and stuff. So I'd say probably the disappointment wore off pretty quickly. Actually, there was a lovely story about Sinatra. He, because um, he was he was dating Nancy, this was around the time that Sinatra was with Mia Farrow as well. Uh, Sinatra brought him to Vegas on this particular trip. So we're talking about Frank now, not Nancy. Yes, Frank. Yes, Frank, of course. Uh, sorry, yeah, Frank's, on Frank's jet, not Nancy's jet, Frank's jet. Uh, brought him to Vegas uh, to see you saying Nancy could You're saying Nancy, Nancy couldn't have had a jet? I'm saying what Nancy. Could, what kind of bullshit fucking sixties misogyny is this now? You're. I'm saying I'm saying that Nancy could have had twenty jets and good luck to her, but he was on Frank's one for this story. So All if right. you can get it, if you can have a yarn about Kane on Nancy Sinatra's jet, come at me. But for the time being, it's a Frank Sinatra jet story. I'm telling. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be stirring one up now while you while you. I'd be pretending to listen to you while I'm, I'm going oh, to yeah. Nancy Sinatra's jet, yeah, jo- yeah. jet story. 
you go Google away there now for, 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 for 30 seconds. So anyway, he's on the jet with Sinatra. And Kane himself has told his story. He said he, he kind of had a moment of clarity on the jet. He was like, oh, my God, I'm sitting here with Frank Sinatra. What are we doing? And Sinatra notices the change in his expression or whatever. Maybe he's gone quiet. And he says, are you OK? And Kane explains what he's feeling. And Sinatra says, look, exact same thing happened to me. He said, when I came to Hollywood, I had the same experience with Ronald Coleman, who was a great movie actor of the time. And I, kind of, I just thought it was a lovely story. I actually went back. I Googled um, Frank Sinatra, Ronald Coleman, and I found a, a really nice picture of Sinatra and Coleman and a few other people, um, a few other stars at the time from when Frank was very young and Sinatra looking bright and tanned and totally delighted with himself in Coleman's company. Uh, the exact same way as McCain would have been really in Hollywood, I suppose, at this stage, you know, just living the absolute life. There is a story that he always tells. This is this one has been rolled out in so many chat shows down the years about John Wayne, meeting John Wayne in the lobby. Apparently the helicopter drops down in front of the Beverly Hills Hotel. John Wayne jumps out of the helicopter in full cowboy gear. He's come straight from the set of a movie and he sees your man, Noah's Kane, from one of these screens of Alfie. Are you Alfie? Goes over, has the chat, gives him a piece of advice. He said, boy, never wear suede shoes. And he says, why? Why don't I wear suede shoes? He says, because someday you're going to be in the lavatory. You're going to be doing your thing. And a guy's going to come in, stand beside you. And he's going to look at you. And he's going to say, are you Michael Caine? And he's going to swing over. And he's going to destroy your suede shoes. And that silence, actually, that you've just given me there, is very unlike the uproarious laughter that that story gets on the chat shows that I've seen him tell that story of. Sorry, I was just remembering my Nancy Sinatra, Michael, uh, Michael <laughs> Caine, on uh, my, Nancy Sinatra's chat. So, so this is an in around the time that he was dating Natalie, <laughs> Natalie Wood, right? And uh, he'd been hanging around with Natalie Wood and Chris Walken and Robert Wagner, and uh, you know, trying oh. to trying to run the two two girls at the same time. But he got okay. a he got a phone call from Nancy going, "Look, look, I want to take you on my jet. The jet that I, it is completely okay for me to own, despite the fact it's in the nineteen sixties and some backwards Irish men feel that it wouldn't be appropriate for me to own a jet at the same time as my uh, much better known father." Mm-hmm. Like Kane said, that, "That's an oddly specific thing to say." Uh, but yeah, I'd love to go with you. Throws on his clothes, says good luck to the lads. Gets to the airport, they get on, and he's starting to hobble, hobble up. And he goes, "Oh God, I put the wrong clothes on." And Nancy goes to him, "What's wrong with you? It's these shoes. These boots are made for walking." And she's like. That's a great, that's a great song title idea. Wow. And the next thing you know, wow. She recorded, she recorded a very famous song called These Boots Are Made For Walking. <laughs> oh, thanks for, thanks for filling that in. Wow, it's amazing. It's amazing. That's a yep. classic Kane anecdote now, that is. It is. There's, a, yep. there's a beginning, a middle, an outcome, and something that, you know, yep. Yep. there's a song that, that, that's there forever. That's, that's, that's yep. really good. That's, that's really good. It's complete lies. It's um, not nice. Okay, fair enough. So it's just a round of parties and it's, you know, it's dinner with Prince Philip and Cary Grant in Denny Kay's kitchen and it's dinner with Shirley MacLaine and her brother Warren Beatty and it's and it's all this. And it's brilliant and it's great and he makes a fairly okay movie. We're giving our marks for Kane, not marking the movie as such, we're marking Kane's performance. Um, for a fellow, to be fair, for a fellow who apparently is trudging out of the caravan every morning, having blown his ears out listening to Revolver um, and he's hung over and he's doing his thing, uh, it's pretty pretty serviceable kind of six canes for me, six out of ten. I agree, six, yeah, it's grand. It's grand, and it gets them off to a start in Hollywood. They meet the fella, they have a look at this. Again, he's, he's they get to look at this unbelievably skinny waif-like cane. He's definitely on the actor's diet, like. Yeah, no, uh, peak skinny cane. 
Absolutely. Perfect cat burglars felt cane. And Stephen, just this point now, I just want to pause for a second, just for a little small shout out. We really appreciate when people send messages, emails, just a bit of feedback. Money. Money. Well, I mean, you know, it's all, we'll never say no. We're very easily bought. I mean, in fact, embarrassingly easily bought. Um, but we really appreciate any bit of feedback. And particularly, though, I just wanted to give a shout out to Kieran Coffee in Kerry, who sent a graphic novel uh, in the other day. Um, it's called Hellraisers. And it basically, it charts the life of Richard Burton, Peter O'Toole, Haddis, and Oliver Reed, all the Hellraisers. And Kieran spotted that in the Peter O'Toole section, there's a couple of pages with Kane. Kane, of course, would have understudied Peter O'Toole. And basically, it tells a little yarn about uh, Kane, well, O'Toole really bringing him out on the tear. And, uh, of course, with hilarious consequences. So I want to just say thanks to Kieran. It's really, really kind, really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, hope you're enjoying the show. Thanks, Kieran. I also enjoyed the book you didn't send me. Yeah, and I, if I were you, I would really, really read a lot into that. Don't worry, his card is well marked. Yeah, yeah, Kieran, you've made you've made one friend, but I have to say one. You've very... made a you've made a terrible mistake. You've made an enemy <laughs> for life. About I thought in my forties I was too old for a nemesis, but it's about fucking time you found him. And better again, can I tell you? And the fact he's from Kerry as well. I mean, what the ultimate nemesis for you? Well, I'm assuming that he sent you a book because obviously he bought it foolishly, forgetting that he couldn't read. Oh, that's harsh. I doubt it. I think it was entirely. I, I, I like the pictures. Oh, that's harsh, harsh stuff. That is harsh and entirely untrue. Kieran, thank you so yeah. much. No, no, no. I'm stopping you here now. I'm stopping you here now. Kieran, thank you so much for the book. You're married to a woman from Kerry. So this is like, this is literally I, like talking to some lad and seeing the sniper's dot just on his forehead going, no, I haven't been gotten to by anyone at all. <laughs> My experience to carry people is that they're highly intelligent, erudite people, and I very, they're, very they're much, intelligent, intelligent, and I very, very much enjoy their company as long as we're not talking about football. And let's move on from there. So yeah, decent movie moves him along to the next one, which is Funeral in Berlin, which is his second outing as Harry Palmer. So it's um, it's away from I think they filmed um, Gambit in Singapore. I think my memory serves me yeah. right. So, so it's off to right. Berlin, it's off to Germany for Kane this time, so it's all very exotic and very different from what he would have been used to. So, you know, it's kind of uh, jumping around from um, Cat Burglar to Spy again. So we'll see what that's going to be like. That's right, Mick. So Funeral in Berlin next week, as usual. Uh, go away, watch it. And if you have any questions, uh, you can uh, DM us on Twitter at Mark of Kane 2 Yeah, uh, so yeah, look, we'll talk next time for Funeral in Berlin. See ya. Bye. What are you waiting for? Come on! Come on! That's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. Make sure to like and subscribe. Uh, maybe leave a comment. Only nice ones, though. Mean comments will make Alfie cry, and no one wants to see that. The Marco Kane podcast is written, researched, and presented by Stephen Black and Michael Foley, and edited by Andrew Foley. Music is composed by Stephen Black. If you'd like to get in touch, you'll find us on Twitter at, at Mallow News and at Marco Kane 2 and if you enjoyed this episode, you'll find all the rest wherever you get your podcasts. The Mark of Cain is a Mallow News 2 Cubes production. See you next time. Oh.